So I thought it might be interesting to document just how Protestant apologetics goes. Obviously, this is not every Protestant. Uh, this is my general lived experience on the internet. Um, I'm sure that there are many that are really good. Uh, oftentimes what happens is they, they get a little piece of knowledge and they run with it and then they try to steamroll you, uh, just by hitting you over the head with it again and again and again. And when you point it out, they just go back and repeat the same thing over and again. So this is Monique and, uh, we've been going back and forth today and she's kind of gotten very upset with me, uh, by the end here, but I just figured this would be instructive. So she shares this uh, little clip from Matthew 16. Obviously Matthew 16 is, um, where we see the, the establishment of the Petrine office. I'll actually have a, um, a link below this video, probably to my video that I actually link in this whole article here, right there. Uh, Peter Petros Petra is Peter the rock. Uh, and I actually, it's like a 10, 15 minute video. I don't remember how long it is, uh, where I went through all of this and explained why this is actually not accurate. Um, even though, uh, they think that is accurate. And I love this like Petros, like that's not even Greek, but whatever. Um, and so here's the argument. This is a very common argument made by Protestants. Peter was the small rock, Petros, and Jesus Christ is the bedrock foundation, Petra. So in Matthew 16, 18, we have Peter, uh, the small rock, and Jesus Christ, the big rock. And it's right in the Greek text of Matthew 16, 18. Roman Catholics willfully deny this and refuse to see it. So again, a little bit of knowledge makes you kind of dangerous, albeit I'm not, you know, the world's greatest expert on this. But then she actually shows herself that the whole foundation, um, can shift because she quotes here, Jesus is the rock and the cornerstone of the church, but not just any cornerstone. He's the chief cornerstone holding the entire building together. If you move the cornerstone from the arch, it falls down, uh, keeps it together. Uh, that's the point. And then she gives a lot of other, uh, similar quotes. So here was my response. Consider this. The very first thing Jesus does when he meets Peter is change his name. We see in John one, uh, that Andrew, when he brings Jesus to meet his brother, uh, that very moment that Jesus meets Simon is when he changes his name. And what's really interesting is that John is concerned enough that we understand what's going on, that he translates certain languages for us. We know that Jesus spoke Aramaic primarily, and some of his words are recorded for us directly in Aramaic in scripture. Like when he speaks to the little girl to raise her up, Talitha Kum, uh, and his recitation of Psalm Psalm 21, when he's being crucified, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani. So to hear in John 1, 42, Jesus gives Simon a new name, and that name is actually Kepha. Uh, to make sure we are not confused, however, he, John, translates that into Greek using the masculine word for rock, Petros. Now in Aramaic, the word Kepha just is the word for a big rock. So while Petros does have a translation in Greek that can mean a little pebble, Jesus' use of the Aramaic phrase here clarifies for us that he's not calling Peter a pebble. Had he been calling him a pebble, he would have used the phrase Evna. Uh, we probably would be speaking of Simon Evan rather than Simon Peter. I always laugh when people point out this change from Petra to Petros because it generally just shows they don't understand gendered language. The former is feminine and the latter I dictated the latter is masculine and Peter is simply not being named Mrs. Rock. But if you look at the format of Matthew 16, which is what people are citing here, we can actually see this is a threefold blessing of Peter and each part of the blessing uttered by Jesus has itself two parts, an explanatory part and the blessing part. So blessed are you, Simon, son of John, why is he blessed for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. I tell you, you are rock. I'm renaming you officially. And here's why. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I am giving you, singular, the keys to the kingdom. That whatever you bind on earth, no one shall loose. Whatever you loose, none shall bind. 
That's a threefold blessing. And Peter being made a pebble in this context makes no sense. Blessed are you, you insignificant little rock. The confession of me is the, um, is, is the foundation that I'm going to build the church on. Oh, by the way, here's the keys to the kingdom, right? That really just doesn't jive. Now, what's funny is even after all this, though, the Catholic Church is totally on board with understanding, at least in part, that the confession is part of what the church is being built on. It's actually in the catechism. It says that, right? But that doesn't mean that that's all that's going on here. Uh, blessed are you, you insignificant little pebble. It's not a blessing, insult, blessing. It is a threefold blessing with each part explaining itself. If that made any sense, then I say, watch the video that I shot above. And then here come all the replies from multiple people. Shoot, I just lost them here. Hang on. You can see they're still commenting all over the stuff. There may be comments down there that I haven't seen when I get down there. So Nick says, nonsense. Jesus is the rock. First Corinthians uh, 10, 4, the only foundation. First Corinthians 3, 11. And I said, Nick, this is uh, somebody else. Uh, Nick, you're, you're picking and you're choosing. Paul says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And Revelation 21, 14 says the wall of the city, the heavenly Jerusalem, had 12 foundations, and in them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So they are the foundations of the heavenly city. Jesus is the foundation, but so are the apostles by virtue of Christ and his grace. To him be the glory. Amen. That seems like it should be pretty cut and dry. But then Monica comes in. Justin, the Greek word for Peter is Petros. It means stone, rock, ledge, or cliff. It is used metaphorically of an unyielding person resembling a rock. The Greek word for rock is Petra. It, it means a ledge, a cliff, a rock that upon which a wise man built his house. The former word is usually a smaller detachment of the massive ledge. The word rock is used symbolically of God in both Old and New Testaments. That's right. Uh, Petros was derived from Petra, not conversely. The foundation of the church is not derived from man. Peter was derived from the massive living rock. The living stone is Jesus. The living stones are recipients of the grace of God, and they are connected by the Holy Spirit upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. Okay with that. Uh, from the negative point of view, the foundation of the Obviously, we're copying this from somewhere, I guess. I don't know. Church is not Peter. Peter was only a mortal, sinful man. Acts, Matthew. Yeah, Peter sent. He denied Jesus three times. Uh, Peter interpreted and expounded Isaiah's prophecy concerning, concerning the church. Jesus Christ alone could be the object of Isaiah's prophecy. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion a foundation stone, a tried, a a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation that he that believeth shall not make haste. He is the chosen one, the father to be our redeemer. And again, I'm not really objecting to any of this stuff. They're just missing that Peter is also being called literally by Jesus, uh, the cornerstone or the, sorry, the foundation. Um, it's just uh, all kinds of, it's a very active message board. Um, he was eternally decreed by the father to be the foundation of the church. Isaiah spoke. Um, sorry, that threw me off here. He was the chosen one of the father to be a redeemer and the foundation of the spiritual edifice made up of born again individuals. He was eternally decreed by the father to be the foundation of the church. Isaiah had spoken of Jehovah as a stone of stumbling. The Lord Jesus applied the symbol of stone to himself. He is the living stone. There is no reference to the church being built upon Peter 
except for right there in Matthew 16, you are rocking upon this church. I will build upon this rock. I'll build my church. Uh, he could not be an unwavering foundation against Satan's attack. W E best. So obviously she was quoting somebody here. Uh, Christ, the rock of the true church, not Peter controversy, extraordinary.com. Anyway, uh, to which I just have money. I literally shot a whole video explaining this point that the point of what that you're missing. And that's the video. Again, I'll put a link to this below. And then I summarize scripture is clear that Peter is the rock, even though Jesus is the rock. Peter and the apostles are the foundation, even though Jesus is the foundation. Deny that. And you're denying scripture. Peter is Kepha. Kepha is rock. I think she started to watch this. LOL. 10 seconds in, I hear snake talk. I guess I'm a parcel tongue. Um, you ought to be talking out of both sides of his mouth. How can the church be the rock built on both Jesus and Peter at the same time? They can't both be the same rock. Like Nobody's making claims that they're the same rock. Because I said, scripture says it explicitly. Already, already cited it. Then she comes back. Uh, Justin West, the foundation of the church, is, of course, Jesus Christ, the bedrock. And Peter is the small rock Petra. That is clear in the Greek text, which the guy in the video ignores the start. She still doesn't realize that's me. I said, I'm not a parcel tongue. And that guy in the video is me. Watch the whole thing. Justin West considered this verse also in Ephesians uh, 20, uh, 2.20, uh, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ himself as the cornerstone. Like, yeah, I've posted that the apostles are the foundation. Peter is an apostle, but a unique apostle. And then someone else comes into my back uh, to back me up here. Edward Martinez. Shout out to you, bro. Uh, Jesus didn't speak to Simon Barjona in Greek. Kepha. I mean, I get what he's going for here. Uh, and I said, Peter is mentioned 190. It's actually 191 times, I think, by name in the scriptures. The next most common name is John, the beloved disciple, who's mentioned like 40 times. Peter's always mentioned first in the list of the apostles. Judas is always last. Go figure. Um, Peter alone is given the keys. And again, this is a threefold blessing, each part in two sections with one explaining the other. You're reading your own biases into scripture here because you're afraid of the alternative. Uh, indeed, leader says, Edward, I'm guessing... Uh, what he's going for there is talking about what Kepha means again, I guess. The foundation of the New Testament church is built on what? The foundation of the apostles and prophets and Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone of that foundation. Nobody can add to that. So if they're all caps here, I, I'm getting riled up. Uh, so there were those Jesus called who had a special calling and special gifts, extraordinary servants, Christians and preachers today, ordinary servants of God's grace. But to claim Peter, the small rock, the foundation of the church denies Ephesians 2.20, how all the apostles are part of the foundation. Roman Catholics want to single out Peter, the small rock, as the singular foundation of the New Testament church. How can that be when all the apostles are part of that foundation? Again, Jesus is the foundation, but so are the apostles, and so uniquely is Peter. All of these are taking the metaphor and just showing it in different lights. They're not inherently contradictory unless scripture is contradicting itself, and I don't think that she wants to make that claim, but she just can't quite see that, because she's already quoting that the apostles are the foundation. So is it the apostles or is it is it Jesus, right? And if it's the apostles, how does it prevent one of them from having special authority? And then she says this, well, let's just, well, just saying, let's carry the scriptural, scriptural thought, I'm guessing, thought through its logical conclusion. That's what she's saying. Roman Catholic, Roman Catholic exegesis makes a shipwreck of itself when it leaves sola scriptura and appears to church tradition and ecclesiastical authority not given by Jesus or the apostles. I said, here's how the early church understood this. 
and I give a quote from a few of the early church fathers who talk about Peter being the rock, Peter being the rock. These are all pre-Constantine. I always try and quote. There's a lot of texts after 325, but I always kind of cut myself off there uh, just because, you know, after Constantine founded the church, it was clearly uh, a Roman Catholic shill organization. You know, that's you know very clearly what history shows. <laughs> Uh, Justin West, and here he is again, backing me up, you know, fear is a common denominator, even if only the subconscious level lashing out seems to be very, very common. She says, Justin West, okay, one more thing. And I'm finished, my friend, where in the entire gospel, uh, or acts of the apostles or any apostles is Peter considered a singular rock? The NT church is built on Matthew 16, 18, sure, not any evidence, regardless of who Roman Catholics lie boldly regarding plain scripture. Some Roman Catholic apologists will make an appeal to the Aramaic language regarding Petros in relation to Peter, but it is a vain attempt to build their false presumption, except for it's not because Jesus, when he meets Peter initially, that's the first thing he does is he gives Peter the name Peter, he gives him the name Kepha, rock. Right. And then in Matthew 16, he explains this. Right. And I love this. He's like, Peter, Peter, Peter. Oh, wow. Y'all sure like preaching about Peter, who they never understand biblical or in biblical context, what the whole council of God declares about the apostle Peter, to which I said, Monique, Sola Scriptura, referring to what she said up here uh, about Sola Scriptura, wherever that was. It was up. There it is up here. Uh, Scriptura, and this is just stating the truth, is a bankrupt tradition of men. You can't find it in Scripture, so it fails its own test, and Scripture itself demands an external source that tells you that there should be 27 books in the New Testament. Jesus didn't shout down as he was ascending, hey, by the way, look for these books and compile them once they're written. In fact, Jesus never said to write anything, and that's important. Think about that. Like, really just meditate on that for a minute. Jesus never said to write anything. Why? Why do we have a Bible? Why do we have a New Testament? Obviously, because the church found real merit in having the thing. Obviously, because God authored scripture and the church made us aware of this, but it wasn't in Jesus's words. So by appealing to the Bible, you're implicitly appealing to the scriptures. Jesus never said, write anything. He's silent on the need for a New Testament. That's not in the Bible. Moreover, to continue what I said earlier, none of the apostles, nor Mark, nor Luke, penned, because of course they aren't apostles, they're apostolic men, penned a table of contents. That information, by definition, is from an extra-biblical source. And then I, I laughed at her saying, Peter, Peter, Peter. I said, now you sound like a New Testament writer. Peter's listed, again, 191 times by name. The next most common is John. And then she says, Justin West, ha, 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 ha. We have to be wise as serpent and gentle as doves. Jesus said so. We have to be shrewd and wise in dealing with Catholics. They are pushy and arrogant with their lies. I, I don't think I've been pushy. They appeal to patristic history and patristic fathers of the church, claiming that it is of equal authority with the Bible or Sola Scriptura when it's not. It's not that the patristics are of equal authority, because they most certainly are not. But what they do show is a consistent witness with how we are interpreting things. And St. Paul is very clear uh, that we are to hold fast to the traditions that have been passed on, either by writing or by oral tradition. And the early church is very, very clear that even the heretics won't show. Uh, you know, they claim some, some tradition belongs to the apostles, but they'll never show you the role of their bishops and uh, show you that one of their bishops is one of the apostolic men or had one of the apostolic men as their ordainers. Uh, so literally that was the litmus test in the early church, the same church that passed on the gospel, the suffering church, the church that was persecuted, uh, the church uh, that was full of all kinds of martyrs, right? That is the history of the church. But then, so she says here, so we're appealing to patristic history and patristic fathers, but we can use the church father statements against them also just saying. 
I mean, again, I'm not claiming they're infallible. I'm just using them to show that this isn't a new concept. Said Monique, you fail to understand what the keys of the kingdom mean. And then I kind of break this out a little bit more. As a first century Jew, this is also going into that video. Uh, as a first century Jew, the Messiah, the son of David and the king of kings, uh, even if you didn't think this is what Jesus was, that symbolism wouldn't fail to hit you. The king had stewards who ran the church. I, should, I meant to say kingdom, and instead, the king's job was to be off fighting for his kingdom. But he had so many ministers, he needed to give one of them a primacy, a special authority. And can you guess what the symbol for that authority was? Got it? The key to the kingdom. And what did that authority convey? It conveyed whatever he binds, no one shall lose. Whatever he closes, no one will open, etc. This is right in Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah 22, uh, around 20 ish, actually, is where it starts. It's a defrocking ceremony where one guy's in the office, he gets kicked out in favor of another guy because he was abusing his power, which shows that the office exists beyond the, the office holder, right? Uh, moreover, uh, these keys were an office. That's why I said that lasts the office holders. Most offices do. And that's why the passage is the defrocking ceremony. Now you just need to be what I'm saying rather than dictating here, um, where one man is thrust out. I will fasten him. It goes on as a peg in a secure place and he will become a glorious throne to his father's house. Ex cathedra. The first thing the apostles did after Jesus ascended into heaven, having not shouted down a list of books to be on the lookout for, was elect a successor to Judas because his office needed to be filled because that's how the offices work. And that is the constant experience of Christianity for the first 1500 years. And thus, and I get some quotes here from Clement, who was a bishop. He's actually the, he's actually a pope. Um, I, I edited out the name pope, and I just put bishop here. Um, it's Clement of Rome, and he talks about um, you know passing on the authority. Our apostles knew through our Lord Jesus Christ that there would be strife on account of the office of the episcopate, and for this reason, therefore, and as much as they had obtained perfect foreknowledge of this, they appointed those ministers already mentioned, and afterwards gave instruction that when they should fall asleep or die, other approved men should succeed them in their ministry. History, um, for our sin will not be small if we eject from the episcopate those who have blamelessly and holily filled its duties or fulfilled its duties. And of course, Ignatius, speaking of Clement, um, for what is the bishop, one who beyond all others possesses all power and authority so far as it is possible for a man to possess it, who according to his ability has been made an imitator of Christ? And what is the presbytery but a sacred assembly, the counselors and assessors of the bishops? And what are the deacons but imitators of the angelic? powers, fulfilling a pure and blameless, blameless ministry unto him as Anacletus and Clement to Peter. So he's literally referencing Clement and Anacletus following from Peter. They were both put there and ordained by Peter and one after the other succeeded uh, to the office of the bishop. To which I said 99% this, so I, I just written this and then right before I read this she posted this about the church fathers. So then I said, you know, 99% of what I'm stating is appealing to scripture, but I think historical context is important, hence the two quotes immediately above this. Also, note, you're calling me pushy and arrogant, but I'm really not being either. Can you show me where I have been? To which he then says, LOL, oh, you're hitting back with the keys now. Too funny. The keys of Matthew 16, 18, 19 are kingdom keys, not local church keys. It's that simple. Uh, okay. Catholic claim authority that the Bible does not give no local church, including Roman Catholic today, have the keys of the kingdom. They lie out of their mouth ten times sideways, and then some about the keys to the kingdom. Justin West, Satan's keys. So, fake keys, fraud, lie. Nope, it's not the Matthew sixteen nineteen keys. Nice try, though. I mean, nobody's claiming they're literal keys, first off. I mean, this is... that's. You're missing the point entirely. Uh, then she posts this. Let me get a little bit bigger here just because. <laughs> Key to Satan's keys. or Sorry, keys to Satan's kingdom. 
Um, he received the Vatican. Um, apparently looks like a key from, from the satellite. Honestly, I don't think I've ever seen this before. I don't think I ever realized that that was key shaped. I could see that, I guess. I don't know what this is over here. I actually don't know my Vatican geography very well. Uh, oh, look, we have a key hidden in various places because keys always nefarious. I mean, the Vatican is behind some uh, nefarious plot. I don't know. Uh, if the Pope's keys come from Peter, why is it they only open the locks and the gates of hell? Again, citation needed, <laughs> to which I just answered her. Uh, I just showed you how the keys are a very clear reference to the primacy, uh, to the prime minister appointed by the king, the Davidic king. I showed you in scripture how they have the same authority. Um, show me in scripture what you're claiming or stop claiming it. Scripture in the Old Testament shows the king giving keys to his prime minister with the authority to bind and loose or open and shut amidst a group of otherwise equal ministerial peers. The New Testament shows Jesus giving keys to one man amidst a group of peers who had similar binding and loosing authority, raising him to be that prime minister. That is what the imagery shows us, unless you can give me a clear scriptural reference to the contrary that also makes reference to the binding and loosing authority. Even a first century Jew who thought Jesus was completely off his rocker would understand when he gave Peter the keys to the kingdom what he was doing. He would say, oh, look, this crackpot carpenter thinks he's establishing a kingdom and that's his prime minister. That's what the imagery literally you know, entails. To which then Victor chimes in, out of context, it isn't talking about Roman Catholic tradition, but the 12 apostles stop twisting the word of God to your own destruction. To which I said, I'm not. I'm not twisting the word of God of my instruction. I'm presenting them clearly and you don't like it. So you're decrying that I'm twisting them. Your personal interpretation doesn't jive with mine, which is the interpretation of literally billions of Christians for nearly 2000 years. If only there was a way, this is where I start getting snarky. If only there was a way for us to test which was right and which was wrong. Two bad scripture never condemns personal interpretation anywhere. It does. I guess the truth is unknowable, which is sad since it's the truth that sets us free. And that's that's the real issue here. Uh, literally inside of Protestantism, you have so many competing ideologies claiming to have the truth and have it correctly. They can't all be right. The truth does not contradict the truth. You have one body speaking with one mouth for nearly 2000 years teaching the same thing. And then you have every Protestant out there being his own Pope. That's really it. And then I think this just happened 11 minutes ago as I started this video, not built on Peter alone as Roman Catholic claimed the foundation of the apostles and the prophets don't leave them out is a secondary foundation while Christ is the only primary house. See how long this is. And a bunch of, bunch of quotations, many of which I've already dealt with. Uh, Peter's the rock. Read first Peter described himself as an elder. Again, uh, so this is a common one, right? Peter calls himself a fellow elder. So what? right? A bishop in the church is still a priest and he can call himself a priest if he wants to. A uh, priest is an elder. The, the word for priest is presbyteroi. It often gets translated as priest or sometimes elder or sometimes uh, presbyter. Uh, you'll find it. I mean, the word priest in English literally is just old English presbyteroi coming, coming down to us and getting truncated to prest. Like literally that's what the word priest is. That's where it came from. Um, why our apostle Paul says of Peter that he seemed to only be one of the pillars along with James, uh, who mentioned before Peter and John, again, this isn't a list of the apostles, uh, and he's listing them. I think if I'm recalling, I don't, he didn't give me a citation here. Uh, but this is in, I think this is in and around acts 15 where they were actually in James's area. Uh, that's why the council of Jerusalem takes place in Jerusalem and that's James's territory. Uh, and so Peter actually gets up and he speaks, um, and everyone listens to him. And then James uh, makes the decision since they're in his territory and says, yeah, what Peter said was right. Let's go with that.
So it kind of shows Peter. Anyway, uh, I started this video off uh, saying I was just going to kind of walk through Protestant apologetics a little bit. Um, I'm going to actually probably share this uh, right here in this thread just to kind of give an overview of how this conversation has gone. Um, I would love Nick, uh, Monique, and is it Victor? Yeah, it's Victor. Anyone else I've missed? I'm sorry. I just went over all your names. Uh, there's Nick again. Um, and Victor, there we go. Um, you know, feel free to let me know if, if this video was helpful. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to poke fun at you guys. I'm not trying to be mean. I am trying to show that I'm honest with you um, and that I'm, I'm being earnest, rather, um, and trying to communicate for the most part in good faith. Obviously, occasionally, I'm going to josh you a little bit, um, you know, give you a little bit of ribbing uh, because it's the Internet and that's what it's for. Um you know, there's that book, The Five Love Languages. One of my love languages is memes. So <laughs> um, I still view you guys as my brothers and sister in your sisters in Christ. Um, you know, I'm not trying to deny that, but I think you guys are really missing something. And here's the big key. In this Protestant, Orthodox, and Catholic debate group, I don't think I've seen hardly a valid attack against the church. Nearly all of the attacks are literally lies that aren't things that we teach. If they're attack attacks, like you guys worship Mary. I'm like, no, we don't. You know, the first commandment is is pretty darn explicit. You can read the Catholic Church's own catechism. There's a link to it. Um, there's a whole big long text just about the first uh the first um, commandment and, and, and how we read that and making sure that, you know, we worship no created creature. Mary and the saints are created creatures. We don't worship them instead of God or in lieu of God or with God or anything else. They are just fellow believers like you and me, but they've fought the good fight. They finished the race and the prayers of the righteous availeth much. But those are the types of objections I keep seeing. Now, I mean, honestly, this there was better because it's at least a, a discussion about the text at hand, but when your initial discussion goes a layer level than surface deep, oh, in Greek, we see Petros and Petra. And then I take it two more levels deeper and I show you, well, why A, it doesn't matter that one is Petros and one is Petra because there's gender in the language. And two, we can actually see that Petros wasn't the word that Jesus named Peter. It was Kepha. That changes things. And you have to be able to recognize that or we can't have an honest discussion. Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and end this here. God bless you.